Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, fam. Thank you for tuning in. Divine Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, joined by Jennifer Lynn. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. But you know what? I watched this documentary a day ago, Jen, and it just blew my heart open. Which one? So I was on Netflix, which I usually am not. I just took a little break, and there was this documentary that I've been wanting to see, and it was actually a short film about Ram Dass. Oh, okay. Right? You know about Ram Dass, right? It's one of yeah. The, one of the greatest spiritual teachers of our time. I've been following him for a really long time, but there's this uh, documentary that came out called Going Home, and it was basically a short film uh, about the end of his life, because obviously he's no longer with us, but this Mm -hmm. film was just sort of like this last sort of remembrance of him, and the film was was shot in Maui, and Mm -hmm. uh, just sort of like followed followed him around his sort of complex in which he lives. He lives right next to the beach, but it was just filled with so many great quotes and it just has a lot of like little snippets of him like in the garden talking about and reflecting about his life. And uh, I just couldn't help it. It just completely brought me to tears. So watching it with my partner and she turns, she turns to me and she sees me just like bawling my eyes out. And I was just oh. like, felt so sad. <laughs> you know, it, I have, just felt like passing of a father. You know what I mean? Oh, I have kind of a fun fact. Um, the designer, the interior designer for field trip clinics actually used to live with Ram Dass. Like in one of his really? commune type situations. Yeah. yeah I probably Crazy spent some writing. time with him. Yeah. She's he lives a lot in a really beautiful, him. beautiful place in Maui too. Oh, it was yeah. just, it was, it was so amazing. And it was just so nice to, and so humbling of an experience. Cause I, I remember, uh, I've read a few of his books, but he has this uh, other documentary called Fierce Grace, which happened exactly when he had his stroke. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this documentary, uh, this new one that I saw is sort of like a follow up to that because that was like his, an entirely different journey for him. But for him to just create a, a final documentary about the ending of his life and sort of like celebrating his whole legacy was really, really beautiful. But there was something I wanted to just talk about really, really quick to just ponder, to just ponder is that he had this talk about the multidimensional nature of the spirit. And he mm-hmm. was talking about in one of his talks uh, that the, exper- the spirit exists in multiple dimensions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in multiple realms, which is something that we talk about very often. But he, he yeah. said something about dreams, oh. right? So when you dream sometimes, and we've talked about this before, we can actually probably ask our guest about this too. We have a guest in the studio today. We're going to introduce her here shortly. But he was saying that when you dream, sometimes you dream that you're other people. Sometimes you dream about seeing people that you don't even know. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. But he was saying, oh, yeah. when we dream, our spirit is also working out karma from another life, playing out in the exact timeline somewhere in the universe. So he's saying that there is a gen here. There's a gen in another dimension. Mm-hmm. And there's probably different different gens and all these other various other dimensions living out their life in the same way that you are. Right. So he's saying that when we dream, we get to take a glimpse of the other life that we're living where we're working out karma somewhere else. Yeah, in a different timeline. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. No, I can I totally can can see that. I mean, that's kind of like the premise of the Akashic records, right? is all yeah. all of your timelines and yeah. that's what they're reading is just whatever timeline you're currently on. Right. So if you see if you have a twin flame or a soulmate in this dimension, 
and you end up dreaming of somebody that you don't even know, that could be also them in another dimension as well. It could be the same person. Mm-hmm. It just goes on forever, Jen. Hey, There's no end to yeah. it. It just goes on e- eternally. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've, I've certainly had dreams of people um, that I didn't know that I met way later in life, like a year later or six months later. And I had dreamed yeah. of them before. Actually, um, my mediumship coach, uh, I, I had a dream of before I actually met him in real life. Oh, wow. Bizarre. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you know Did what, Jen? Did I ever Jen, tell that story ever... on the podcast? Because I think you you know about it, but I don't know. No, we'll I don't think it. you've told that one on the podcast. Yeah, but you know what? These are some really valid questions that we're going to go over, I think, with our guest because we have a medium with us today, Jen. We do. A medium, somewhat, one of your cronies, right? Somebody on yeah. your path because Jen's been studying mediumship for quite some time. <laughs> so they're little, they're little soul sisters, probably. We're going to get into it here. I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. Really happy to have her in. We have a, a guest. She is a woman's intuitive coach and a certified psychic medium who helps her clients to embody their femininity, surrender, and thrive. She's been studying child and human development for 20 years. She studies somatic therapy and is a walking in your shoes facilitator. Curious what that is. That sounds cool. That does sound cool. Women work with her when they want to feel seen, understood, and develop greater sense of self-love. Her seeing process helps her clients to recognize patterns that have been hidden for years and melt the ice around this energy, awakening their deepest desires and feminine power. And as a medium, she connects them to guides and ancestors, which is always always good stuff. We're always interested in that kind of thing. And she yeah. does that while holding a space of unconditional love that grants permission to live in alignment with their truest calling. She's originally from Scottsdale, Arizona, but you know what? She's in Tulum right now, Jen, a place that we all wish that we can be right now, I'm sure. I know. I love Tulum. It's so awesome. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Oh, super, super jelly, right? Everybody, let's go ahead and welcome Candice Ribolo. How are you doing, Candice? Hello, Eric and Jen. Thank you so much for having me on Divine Nobody's <laughs> podcast. So, so grateful to be here. Yeah, you're so welcome. So, I like your last name, though. It has, it has like a nice little ring to it. rolls off the tongue. Candice Rebolo. That's how you pronounce it, right? Rebollo. Oh, oh pff, Ooh, I got sexy. it completely wrong. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> yes. You got to roll the R, you know? It's Rebollo. Rebollo. Uh, I don't know. I'll get it right one day. How are you doing? How, is, how are things down there in uh, Tulum? Tulum is beautiful. Tulum is one of my places of awakening. Uh, when I first came here, I synchronistically ended up being here on the spring equinox, equinox at Chichen Itza. So I got to see the snake slither down the pyramid on that day based on the sun's alignment with the pyramid. And I realized that was an activation that has now brought me back here where, I, where I've expanded my business in ways that I never even dreamed. So it all came full circle. Amazing. That's really beautiful that you've been down to Chichen Itza. I've been down there uh, years ago, and I know exactly what you're talking about, where that the, the temple, I think, Kukulken, or where, when you're right there in front of El Castillo is what you're talking about. And uh, I wanted to bring this up because I wanted to know if, uh, what your thoughts are about this. But when you're sitting at the base of that pyramid, did you ever try doing that thing where you clap your hands and you can hear the, the little crow yes. of the, the bird? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty wild, cool. like the acoustics cool and, that, exactly, know. the acoustics and Quetzalcoatl, I believe is how you say the name, if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, are, the pyramids yes. are just, the, the wild, you know, the technology, who knows what they had access to, but it's, it's a beautiful place and it still carries a, an ancient energy that's very awakening. Very it's cool. Beautiful. I remember when I went and did like a tour there, there was a tour guide there that was giving everybody the sort of like the tourist perspective of Chichen Itza and El Castillo. 
And I kind of like pulled him to the side a minute and I started talking to him. I was like, hey, how come in your guys' tour you don't really talk about aliens? And he kind of gave me this look like, oh, I knew something that other people <laughs> didn't know. And I ended up having this conversation with him about this character that you can see down there in Chichen Itza called Chuck Mool. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with him, but apparently he was telling me that Chuck Mool was the, mo- was the mediator between the Mayans and the aliens. And if you go to the top of Chichen Itza, they have these uh, little characters called, his, his name is Chuck Mool, but he kind of looks like he's kind of on all fours like a dog, but the opposite way, where his chest is facing the sky. And uh, you can see different other Chuck Mool characters all over Chichen Itza. Really cool stuff. Wow, that's going to make me want to like go down that rabbit hole because I love this. Anytime I go to any of these ancient sites, I mean, there's ruins like five minutes away from me here in Tulum on the beach too. And anytime I'm there, I'm just like activated. I could feel the energy and the time, that timeline and those individuals can actually communicate to and through me um, when I open myself up and become receptive to their messages. And it is the messages that I receive there are wild. So I'll be doing, you know, I'm going to be doing some retreats out here and VIP weekends with my one-on-one clients and using the space and the land to actually activate them too because it's quite easy <laughs> to do so. Yeah. So what kind of messages have you received? So Anything you can the, talk about? Totally, totally. The last time I was at the, the Ruinas, as they're called, at the Tulum Beach, and I asked for a message that I needed to receive and they showed me how how condensed we kind of live at times really amplifies the negative thoughts and the negative frequency within individuals. So it was like when I asked to receive a message, it's like they opened my crown and then I was, it's like the closer I got to people, I could hear them louder. And they showed me that that was their natural perception. So because of that, they actually lived more spaced out. They weren't like crammed. And um, they like physically showed me how they used to live and it was very interesting and it was a very, um, I don't want to say slow paced life, but simple, like they showed me very simple life, but they were so highly connected with spirit and it was just like a natural thing. Like everyone to me, right? Like opening my crown like that is like getting into my channeled state. That's how they all were, at least there in that space within the, the ruinas because they were, they would have been a little bit from what I take. Um, and understood from history, they would have been a little bit more of kind of like upper echelon, upper class if they were living at those ruins and sort of protected in that space. So um, I wonder if they all kind of did, you know, some crown chakra, some like awakening stuff and ceremony so that anyone who was like on the land was receptively open because that's what it felt like. It felt like I was like, like sucked back into their timeline and showed and shown how they lived and how they perceived reality. It was really cool. Yeah. You definitely get that impression when you're there at Chichen Itza. It has that, you were talking about the the intensity of the energy there is really heightened. And I remember feeling that when I went there. Another thing that I learned about that space was they, they had the elders, right? And they had these things called sweat lodges there. And if you've been to Chichen Itza, it's hot as shit over there, right? It's like really, really hot. So to, to, yes. to, to think of the Mayan people in an area that is already hot, going into these sweat lodges that are probably even more hot. And he, used to, he, he, he was telling me that they would take psilocybin mushrooms, go into these sweat lodges, right? And they would come out with all of these sort of like profound messages. And that's how they developed their own sort of version of astrology is they had this sort of connection with, with death, right? Mm-hmm. In like a really beautiful way. He was saying that they would try and get to the closest that they can. And typically, I mean, when you're taking psychedelics mixed in with, uh, 
you know, a sweat lodge that could potentially kill yeah, you. You get pretty close. That'll do it. That'll but you do were it. saying that they, yeah, oh, yeah, you were saying that a lot of those messages from those elders uh, came from their experiences in that realm. That that makes so much sense. Pretty cool, right? You know, it's so cool. I've done a temescada ceremony myself out here. Not a long one, not a super strenuous one, but I've done not on mushrooms, though. I you know I wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah. in the temescal ceremony, when you're in the dark hut, because it's completely pitch black, and then they throw in these these big rocks that have been in the fire, right? And then they throw water and herbs on that, and that's what you're breathing in, and you're just like releasing and detoxing, and shit's coming out of your like lungs and your your nose and like your sinuses, and like you're really clearing yourself out. And you will, you will absolutely receive messages from spirit. I did. I certainly did, and um, it was super helpful, even in my in my business now. And then right after that ceremony, we went and we hopped in a super refreshing cenote, which is like the freshwater kind of underwater ground, you know, systems that we have. And the cenote is basically like a sunken in hole into that. So to go from like the steam and the like deep inside into the darkness and the fire, right, and then out into like the refreshing cleansing cenotes, really beautiful experience. And those cenotes are so refreshing too. I remember after I went to Chichen Itza, we went to the cenote called the Ikkil, which is like the closest one there. And it's like, you're right, it's like this huge hole that goes down. And they were even saying that they don't know how far it goes, it just goes down forever. So it's like a really it's beautiful scary. thing. Oh, yeah, so okay, so you, you have quite an abundance of roles and we'll get into all of the specifics of what it is that you do. Um, they're all extremely, really fascinating. So just following through your journey through social media, right, it's beautiful to see your gifts sort of unravel in the way that they do for you and the people that you help. So before we get into the specifics of your practice, I wanted to just invite you to share a bit about your journey into the sort of spiritual realm that you're in. What brought you into the realm of mediumship and what's you know inspired you to follow the path that you're on? Mm, such a good question. I wanna say mediumship found me sort of by accident. There's really no accidents, but I started to awaken when I was like 18, 19 years old. So I was starting to meditate more and I was starting to receive these downloads and I really couldn't explain where the information was coming from and then I would instantly forget it as it was said. So I knew something interesting was going on and um, I was receiving, you know, like the name of my guide. At the time I didn't really know, but I would, I would keep hearing this name, Usanamin, Usanamin, and I was like, what? I don't, like, what is that? I, who is that? And it wasn't until later until, you know, I synchronistically found my way into a channeling class um, that I really got to dive into the connection and connecting with my guides and solidifying that connection and building that up to be very clear. And I was invited by my then channeling coach to, to take part in her mediumship course. And I was like, I don't think I'm ready for that. And she said, no, that I definitely was. She was sure of my connection with my guides. And um, that was like the external kind of nudge that I needed to understand that I was, I was really connecting and I was really gifted and really stretching at the time. And beyond that, even earlier than that, actually what, what kind of pushed me in the direction of healing and growth was actually having a pretty traumatic upbringing, having uh, growing up in an abusive household and having to constantly read my environment and the adults in my environment to see and feel who was safe on what days or not actually led me to be able to read people very well. So what was a survivor mechanism turned into a spiritual gift as I learned to heal with it and understand, you know, what kind of energetic boundaries I needed to maintain a healthy connection to it. 
and uh, not overtake or overread or overgive or um, just kind of overstep any boundaries to where I'm carrying somebody's energy, you know? So it, it takes refinement. I've been channeling for, I think over nine years now. I don't, I have to like sit down and really calculate it, but it's like nine or 10 years. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, you, it's, it's interesting how, how mediums and psychics and people with these like gifts um, all have kind of the same story, all have traumatic backgrounds, right? Like as, that story definitely resonates with Eric and I because we were, have a lot of childhood trauma too. So it's pretty interesting how, uh, how those experiences when you're young really shape who you are later and actually help you. They help you with your gifts and help you develop in ways that mm, you have these, these I don't want to say coping mechanisms, but you have, you have these gifts that you otherwise probably would have never learned. It's so true. And when you learn that your past is actually everything that you signed up for, when you start to really, you know, go deep into channeling and be committed, you know, your guides will begin to show you how you contracted this entire thing and how if you just move through it and heal through it and keep going and move past the resistance, the pain, the wanting to give up, the darkness, the shadow, if you can keep moving through that, you will find light, you will find abundance, and you will find your pocket of divine service that you're here to embody on the planet. Because that's, it's kind of like the light worker persecution imprint, if you will, right? Like we all came here to experience pain because the pain is the portal. It's what we're here to turn around and then teach to everybody. So that's how, that's how I see it. And I see, like you said, I, I train psychics and mediums. It's one of my passions. So it's so similar. It's like alcoholic parents, sexual abuse, all kinds of trauma, abandonment, you know, everything, everything that you can imagine <laughs> comes up in these courses. And when mm -hmm. we're clearing out the channels and preparing them to really learn to connect to spirit genuinely and authentically. Yeah. And that's something that I definitely advocate um, and what we talk about a lot. I mean, just like Jen was saying, I kind of grew up around a lot of trauma as well. There seems to be this sort of this, this uh, I guess, curriculum that a lot of empathic people tend to go through when they go through scenarios like that. It's like when the ground is pulled from underneath you and you don't have that sort of solid foundation that, let's just say, other kids have, you're forced to be really present, really hyper aware of your behavior, which if you have like a narcissistic parent or an emotionally abusive parent, you have to be really mm -hmm. hyper aware of how you feel, right? How, what's in your environment? And I imagine that allows like a different type of integration. One, you're, you're studying the world in a way that most children don't get an opportunity to so young. So maybe we're learning a lot faster, right? And uh, that's, that's one of those things that I can definitely, definitely relate to. I had this thought come up. I wanna know what you think about this because when children are kids, it's, it's common for them to have like imaginary friends, right? Like you, we always hear about like kids, they have imaginary friends and they're speaking to somebody, but we coin it off as adults as just, they have a large imagination. These are just kids being kids. But I'm wondering if there's something to that. I'm wondering if maybe they're actually talking to something like spirit guides. Maybe they're talking to something on another dimension. Does that resonate for you? Does that make sense? Very much so, very much so. I will tell you from a very young age, before I was really like ever shown anything ET related, I would always imagine a little ET friend come and visit me at, at my window when I was a little girl and I just knew it was my friend and I knew not to be afraid. And funny enough, when I began channeling, you know, that, that my, my guide, there's, there's some oversoul that we share, but there's definitely extremely high ET vibes and like off planet lives and all that kind of stuff going on. So when children are in the imaginary friend stage, they haven't left 
let's say fully, they haven't left fully that realm of oneness where they know they are connected to everything and where they know their imagination is actually truth. Because when I'm training psychic mediums, I often tell them in the beginning, you're going to come up against what you feel is your imagination and you just making it up. And you actually have to move through that and understand that the imagination and you making it up in the beginning is actually the mechanism in which your guides will use to connect with you. It's like the same highways, you know, they're using the same streets as your imagination. It's the same thing. So when the child's connected to the imagination, it's them actually channeling and intuiting spirit. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And that's one of those things that I think come up for a lot of people that study mediumship. And I'm sure that Jen, this is a part of her practice as well, which is how do you distinguish between what is maybe your ego wanting to hear something and what is like true source or true spirit actually communicating to you? Like, how does that distinction happen for you? Like, how can people decipher what is true and what isn't? Is that for me or is that for Jen? Oh, for both of you guys, anybody, any of you guys both cool. study mediumships, or maybe this is like a double question. Go for it. Yeah. I'll, okay, cool. And I would love to hear your input too, Jen. Um, for me, it's been a lot of practice and it's been a lot of getting very acclimated with my guides energetically and allowing them to lead me through processes in which I uncover, oh, okay, this is this spirit's frequency, or this is how this energy feels when that energy is channeled through me. So really it's a process of differentiation. So there was a time in the beginning of my channeling work where I was like, you know what, I, I'm feeling like pretty doubtful in this process, like how do I know it's you? You guys feel so similar to me, and if you're telling me we share an oversoul, this damn near feels exactly like myself. How am I supposed to tell the difference? So my guides <laughs> told me to go yeah. into a guided meditation and um, they actually brought me another high vibrational being to channel within my body. And I could clearly feel the distinguished difference between that energy and allowing that energy into my orcs field, into my, my, my body space versus what I'm used to with my guides. And then from that moment on, I completely got it. It really sank in. They, they essentially set up the framework for me to differentiate between them and other energies. So that really helped. And then really it comes down to what I believe as a psychic medium is your commitment to personal growth. So removing, I don't know if you can ever 100% like remove the ego, but it is a matter of dealing with your stuff and clearing out as much of your traumas, pains, blocks, fears, doubts about your process and about your journey and where you're headed and um, fully taking responsibility for who you are as a person within this realm, right? Within this world and the work that you're choosing to embody, which is psychic mediumship, which is healing. If you're going to want to heal the other, you have to really dedicate yourself to your own personal growth. So to me, it's those two things. It's, it's the practice and then learning the differentiation through asking your guides and communicating with them and asking them for journeys and experience to differentiate and then continual and forever and never ending spiritual growth. <laughs> that is, that is super cool for me. It's, I 100% agree. It's practice, you know, um, and, and for me, sometimes it's the connection. Like I'm, sometimes I'll connect to someone where the connection really isn't that strong and, um, or it's a little bit fuzzy, especially if, if the departed has committed suicide or something like that, that it's really hard. It's a lot harder for me to connect, um, to the dead in that way. So, um, so it just really depends, you know, sometimes I'll have a really strong connection to someone and it'll just flow through really easily. 
And um, sometimes it, just the connection isn't as strong and I really struggle. And a lot of the times, whenever the connection isn't that strong, the whole time I feel like I'm making it up. And um, then at the end, you know, the the person that you're reading for will tell you like, you know, all the things that resonated with them. And um, as they're confirming, whenever you're doing a reading for someone, as they're confirming, that strengthens your connection. So um, uh, as, uh, and I always tell people like, hey, if I'm not on the right track, let me know. Um, because it does help strengthen, strengthen the connection between you and the dead whenever you're reading. So, um, yeah, so yeah, totally both, you know, and, uh, and just like Candace said, it, it takes a while. It takes a while to get that confidence. And the more that you read, the more confident you get that you're able to tell the difference between a channeled message and when you're getting off track. Um, for me, I feel like a little lightheaded. Uh, whenever I'm really connected and I feel like my hair is like kind of standing up a little bit. I know that sounds mm. ridiculous, but like no, uh, the erector pili muscles, you know, on, on my body um, or all the hairs on my body are standing up and I'll feel a little lightheaded. And um, whenever I'm in meditation before, um, before I actually start to read, I feel like I'm on an elevator, like uh, that feeling you get when an elevator is stopping and you kind of feel like, uh, like your yeah. spirit rises up as your body is going down. Um, I get that feeling. So I, I don't know, C Candace, do you get any like physical feelings like that? I do. I, um, from my guides, that was more of a beginning kind of sensation when I was sort of calibrating with them. Like, okay, when I first started to channel, I literally felt like an airhead. Like my head felt like it was like, mm -hmm. it would take up the entire room. And I was like, yo, this is uncomfortable guys. Like a little less, please. Like, you know, let's adjust. <laughs> let's, where's the controls on this? Cause this is wild. Um, but we got it because essentially it's like, it's like trying to push a watermelon through a water hose and I'm, you know, we're the little water hoses and they got all that high frequency over there. So to, to get it right <laughs> takes some time, but then also, but it did, but it did, it like evened out for me. And then I can mirror, I, I do mirror the energy that the soul is experiencing on the other side whether they've crossed traumatically or not and the beauty of how i kind of teach it's like through my guide so if there's a spirit that's had a very traumatic passing it's not like i'm absorbing that or or like afraid to touch that if you will because my guides are sort of like that filter if you will so it makes connection easier and almost like cleaner for me because i've had mediumship sessions where I'm just like channeling and I almost forget like, oh, I didn't call in my guides this time. And then after I notice a huge difference when I guide, when I channel with my guides versus without them, there's a huge ener energetic difference for me. So there's that aspect. Um, but yeah, physiological, you know what, what spirit tends to do to me? They do, they'll like touch the tops of my little hairs and like my nose. So a lot of times when I'm getting ready to channel or am channeling, <laughs> it's like I, my nose gets like a little itchy. Um, that's kind of one of the things that they do to me. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. It seems yeah. like everybody that is into mediumship has a sort of muscle that is connected to extrasensory sort of uh, maybe the functions that you have in your body, right? This, I think this has determined what, whether or not somebody is clairsentient, clairaudient. It seems like every single person has like a unique way in which they can speak to spirit, whether or not they're studying mediumship. Like for me, audio, like clairaudience is something that's always been really, really really powerful for me, like feeling messages through sound, like feeling messages mm -hmm. through frequency. And this speaks to the reason why I got into sound healing, because I can feel a type of love and a type of communication that is happening through sound that I can't hear uh, through touch or in other ways. So I imagine that everybody has like a very unique ability to pick up on these through 
these sort of extrasensory uh, feelings inside of the body, right? Totally. You know, Candace, I have a question for you too. Um, yeah. For for me, I'm I'm super claircognizant, um, and that's why it was so hard for me in the beginning because, like Eric said, like I really did feel like number one, how do I know this information? Number two, did I make it up? You know, um, and I don't really um, other other than claircognizance, I don't really have any other strong clairs. Um, that's really the only one, and sometimes. Uh, uh, when it's a man specifically um, that's coming through whenever I'm uh, whenever I'm reading, I can smell them. But outside mm. of that, like I don't really get uh, I rarely get images. Um, I never hear anything. You know, it's always just more of a knowing. So um, what are your strongest clairs? And um, over time, did you start to did you maybe start with one and then um, other clairs started to develop or um, do you just have one that's pretty dominant? I would say. I can't say one's more dominant than the other because mine are all here. Like it's it's ears, it's third eye, and it's voice. Like spirit will just like, whoa, like all of a sudden have to like regurgitate some information to somebody. Um, and it's wild because it'll happen fairly quickly. But I think, you know, if I'm to narrow it down, I think it would be the emotional mirroring and then the images that come. Um, but I mean, I can also hear specific things too. I can't, I don't even know. I don't even know how to fully answer that. Like which, which let's say would be my most powerful. Um, but that does beget a deeper question. Like, can we enhance the others? And I am a firm believer that if you, you are kind of going at something from different angles, I think you can invite it in, right? So it might be like, for some people, I know like literally some of my clients, right? Like they might be able to feel like one of my clients, for exa example, she can just intuit information emotionally, like very well. And it just flows through her, but she cannot see anything. And we kind of like did some lineage work and we saw that the women in her family, because of religious reasons, completely shut that down. And because of other traumas and like synchronicities that the women would have experienced, whether it be in dream state or just psychic cognition, they would have feared it and shut it down because of religious, you know, beliefs, dogma, etc. So then that unfortunately leads to the women in the lineage having a closed third eye. And this can also go back not just in lineage um, realms, like within your own generation, but this can go back past lives too, because think about, I briefly touched on too, like worker persecution imprint. Think about Salem witch trials times, you know, and like all of that trauma, the soul remembers and it's encoded within a lot of our DNA too, within the flesh on this planet, it's encoded to be, to hide, to hide your gifts, to hide your spiritual knowing for survival. So having to call that back out is like removing the wounds of like humanity, <laughs> you know, and having to work through that energy. So I, I'm a believer that it can all be called in. You just kind of got to get, it has faces to it. Like it's not one way to me. I see it as like, you know, you got to hit the generational, you got to hit the practice, you got to hit the, then like the overarching energy of like the collective conscious around that for you within your body too. Like, what are you carrying for the world? I, I see it as multifaceted like that. So I do feel like they can all be trained. So as far as healing, um, you know, this, this whole witch thing really intrigues me because I 100% was burned at the stake I had to have been. I have a very unreasonable fear um, with fire. And um, it's my number one fear in life is being burned to death. Wow. And I used to say that as a, as a small child. 
Yeah, which is, you know, really unreasonable. So I'm, I'm pretty is. sure that that's where it come, where it came from. So how, how do you heal that? Do you heal that with a soul retrieval? Like what can you do to uh, heal those ancestral wounds? There's so many ways to do that. There's literally, there's, you could do it with your guides in um, guided connection, right? So this is why I love, 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 love connecting with guides before doing any mediumship work because they have the power to open portals and to take, let's say, negative patterns and sort of liberate them back into the heavens, as I like to call it. So when you go into a guided meditation with your guides, with the intention for them to show you a relevant past life or with the intention to release the fear and trauma of that past life, if, if you've been channeling enough, you'll be able to allow to surrender yourself to your guides and what they do because they can take that pain. They can play out a different scenario for your for your soul or your mind to recapture they can take that energy within portals back to like i said their realm they can they can do so many things they can just be with you in the process of that death so you know you're not alone and it can take the fear away for each for each person it varies um you can also do breath work breath work really can connect you to the soul and you can open those portals for yourself with your own breath. Again, this takes intention setting, right? Like you have to be really clear, I find, on doing these things when you go into especially a breathwork session. And then I also would do this through somatic therapy, the process called walking in your shoes, where you allow your body to speak the truth. It's almost like the body knows everything. The body knows all at all times. And if you take the mind out of the way and just allow the wisdom of the body to speak and learn to tap into that, which it's anybody could do it from beginner to advanced. It's very easy to facilitate, which is beautiful. Um, you can tap into what the missing experience was in that lifetime and give yourself that missing experience in this lifetime. And it can be as simple as you know, doing a little ceremony where you're coming out the forest and you're no longer doing your spiritual work in the darkness, or it could be, um, it could be, you know, honoring, honoring the witch in you in some way that she didn't get to be honored. It could be, um, finding a coven, right? Finding a community of women to do spiritual work with. It could be so many things, whatever your missing experience is, we won't know. And it has to come from your body. We won't know until we look at it. And so those things are so individual, like they're so, I see this with numerous clients. There's no one way and no cookie cutter kind of way to go about this. But, um, these things tend to be so evasive. It's like, it's like the little groundhog, right? It's like you see it and then it disappears. You see it and then it disappears. So you have to like, you kind of have to go at it. This is where I, this is why I kind of have a lot of tools because the kind of, the more you can look at the thing from different angles, the more the thing cannot hide. And this is why I work with women in the capacity that I do, because I really, I really give them a well-rounded experience. Wow. That's, that's, really, that's yeah. really, really beautiful. Jen and I have always been really fascinated with this ability that psychics have to access these sort of etheric realms that you're talking about, whether it's through communication with angels or spirits. And I wanted to know uh, more about the communication that you typically engage in with these spirits. Now, I hear about people talking to ascended masters, people talking to guides. I imagine if you're really tapped into uh, the Akashic records, which is the sort of data sphere of where all this energy exists, that all those energies kind of come in every once in a while. Do you ever 
when you're channeling, get the sort of uh, impression that you're speaking to like an ascended master, maybe like a Mary Magdalene or maybe like a Jesus type? Like what is the sort of myriad of different types of energies that you experience when you're tapping into that realm? Numerous. <laughs> I will say for me, it comes with intention though. And I stumble upon a lot of these connections, mostly by accident. There are a couple exceptions to this where, I mean, again, is anything an accident? Not really. Um, wow. But when, when you're out and about <laughs> in the spiritual realms, whether it's for yourself and you connecting with your guides or for somebody else, sometimes you do run into these really high vibrational beings who are connected to that soul or connected to you. And you, I've had so, I've had numerous sessions, let me just say, where I'm channeling for a client and their guides and or their angels or whoever their soul family is connected to full on give me an activation. It's like I read for the client, but I was the one who got all the healing. <laughs> That's how it'll feel sometimes. And then there, there are the other times where if you set the intention, again, for me, intention is everything. And I recently did this and I, I forgot what I even said because the whole thing was actually very interesting, but I connected to Jesus and I don't remember what I even said because it, it was almost like I blacked out and I was instantly there with Jesus. And he, I was going through something very finan like financially interesting um, and basically, Jesus pulled me by my hair. He grabbed me by my hair and he pulled me off of the floor. And he essentially told me to stop living life on my knees. And he also told me I would never be broke again after that day, that that was an activation. So I was like shocked, right? Because I had never tried to connect to Jesus. I almost felt like a little, maybe like a little, like I'm a little bit of a, I don't know of a rebel, like, you know, maybe like more ET, maybe like the angelic, the Jesus realm or connecting with Jesus, like wasn't my thing. But the moment I tried, I realized how connected I have been my entire life. And in fact, like my past lives and how familiar, like the familiarity of the Jesus energy when I was in that experience brought me to tears because I realized in that moment, like, holy shit, like I am much more connected to this spirit and this consciousness than I ever, ever dreamed. And that was actually recent. So we, with intention, with love and with, with integrity, right? And sometimes like really just an open, innocent heart. Cause that's how I entered. I was like, okay, let's try this. And I closed my eyes and I was right there. And literally I, the before and after of that connection with Jesus, I will say is hazy. And, um, that was a full on activation for me and it was beautiful. So what you can access is it's, it's infinite, right? Like it's as deep as you're willing to go. And I think curiosity has to lead you because the more you ask questions, the more curious you are, the more you're going to unfold into what else is there. Because remember it's free will. They're not always going to say like, okay, you did that. Now do this next. Now do that next. Now you kind of have to unfold within your own curiosity into what's next for you. This is why the continual growth as a psychic medium is so important because you not only heal, but you discover more of your gifts and what you can do with them. I want to place myself in the shoes of somebody. When you were talking. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. You're the second wanna, person. Wanna... You're the second person to tell me that. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't told that story very often, by the way, because I almost feel a little like 
ah, do I share this? Like my connection with Jesus, like it's it's wild, but it's so beautiful. Well, I'm glad that Jesus I'm glad that you through. shared that. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Jesus actually came through um, when Eric and I were getting um, an Akashic Record reading, and um, uh, he came through as like a psychedelic hippie Jesus. No so, way. You know. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. He was smoking yeah. weed and everything. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was he was smoking weed and he was in this like a psychedelic like robe and um and he was telling the Akashic record reader <laughs> that he That's was just incredible. like cool chill Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wanna place myself in the shoes of somebody that let's just say wants to get into mediumship. Right. And the one thing that people you hear commonly, or I've heard it from people that aren't familiar with this all this whole thing, is that there's some fear. There's some reluctance that people have. Because We've sort of grown up to think that, you know, especially if you grew up in a Christian family, that touching that realm is a no-no, right? You shouldn't go into that place because you don't know what's there. There are spirits there that can take control of your body. You know, that whole narrative that people typically typically hear. And I know that whole thing is bullshit, but I want to know your perspective on um, the sort of, there are other, I, I know that despite that, there are some energies that are in that space that um, people talk about that they experience, whether or not it be through astral travel or lucid dreaming. We would call those like negative entity type of energies, right? Do you ever experience that in your work? Do you ever have those sort of like energies that maybe try and influence you in some way? And at the same time, the second part of that question is, do people really need to be afraid to some extent when they get into that work of experiencing that? I have never experienced negative entities in a channeling space. I've experienced some weird things and negative things outside of channeling that had nothing to do with channeling. I wasn't even channeling at the time, but, um, in the channeling space, there's so much unconditional love. It's like you have yourself, your higher self, your guides. Then you have the clients in front of you, all of their loved ones on the other side, all of their guides and angels, all of their higher selves, like the amount of love that's in the space, it's not even a, a match energetically to yeah. a frequency that would try to meddle or be mischievous or be negative or anything like that. It's, it doesn't even, like they don't fit. <laughs> and that energy cannot right. a mesh with anything or anyone in those spaces. So I have never seen it and I've been doing this for a long time. Now, when you're outside of the channeling space, that's a whole, you know, that's, that, there's a whole nother conversation there because you're not always in the realm of unconditional love on this planet. We all know that. We all know the duality we experience here. So when you're not under, I would say that guise or that just like oh, lovey-dovey veil of like my guides and how much they love you and like the lifetimes that they've been with you and all the lessons and the like, you know, how much they're rooting you on and cheering for you and that amount of love, like you can't, you can't replace that. I think in any other spiritual practice, like to connect with your own guidance system that you've had since birth and it's meant for you to uncover and no one can do the work like you can. It's like so special. So that amount of love is not, like I said, congruent with any negative energy. So really what people have really running is the fear of like, what if this is real? Like that's, that's what the real fear is. Like the thought of like, oh shit, like, okay, if, if spirit is real, then what does that mean about life in general? That's what typically their fear is because then they have to face reality from a new face, a new understanding, a new integration point. And that would oftentimes cause a collapse of certain beliefs and things that they're trying to uphold and control. And so that's typically where the fear comes in. Yeah. I totally resonate with that because a lot of where that fear comes from is just traditional theology, right? Like tr- traditional 
church theology, right? They tell you, don't go yeah. to that place because those priests at the time have an incentive to keep you away from that place because it keeps you reliant on the church. And uh, as I got older, I started to study more about the Gnostics, right? So the Gnostics were sort of like who we are now in this sort of dimension yeah. that we're in right now, right? They were sort of the mm-hmm. Christian mystery school of it all. And uh, once you study the Gnostics, then you start getting into the Gnostic Gospels, and then you start uncovering all these different pages of the original canon of the Bible that were taken out, like the Book of Mary Magdalene, I mean, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, you know, like the, 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 the Gospel of Matthew, like all of these different areas of the Bible that talk specifically about mystical states, right? And it talks about really openly about them having this direct access with the Spirit in the same way. And uh, it's interesting because you're right, because I imagine once that spiritual realm opens up to you and you realize that there is a whole lot of love there, then it sort of like causes you to not be so reliant on these sort of dogmatic type of religions. And it allows you to kind of take life into your own hands and hold yourself responsible for your own growth and your own healing. And that's a completely different path, right? 100%. That's what it is. It's the responsibility aspect because we've been conditioned into falling into a role that's really not our soul's path or our soul's given work, right? Like it's, it's the work, it's part of the work and that we're supposed to outgrow it. We're supposed to maneuver our way out of it. That's the work, but the taking the responsibility part is where people usually cower. And that's where I usually want to come in and say, that's, that's the thing. See, if you tackle that thing right there, you're, that's where your freedom lies. When you're up against your peak resistance and your peak fear, they, it, it's like this saying, right? Like the devil's at the doorway of all your greatness, right? It's like all the stuff is going to come, all the fear, all the negative things that could possibly go wrong in your life. They will go wrong when you're about to embark or you're about to really integrate something really big and energetically shifting and moving in your life. So that's where most people want to like not turn the corner. They want to like, oh, say no, never mind. Like, no, that's, that's not for me. But really, I mean, spirituality, who is it not for? It's for everyone. That's why we're here. We're here to literally awaken to the fact that this realm is, is spiritual. It's all, it's all interdimensional. We're here to play the game and we're here to win the game, which is like awakening and freedom and full freedom and nothing less. That's how I see it. And I think with the birth of technology and the amount of information that people have access to, I read this article recently about how millennials and Gen Zers are taking more of that path of considering themselves more spiritual than religious, right? And I think with the recursion of like psychedelic medicine and like plant medicine and just the ability, just our ability to look online and find the, the, the Gnostic gospels and all these other, all these other yep. sort of mystery schools online, people have access to more information than they had before. So I'm starting to see more people turning away from just traditional religion because it's, you know, it's failed a lot of us, right? This idea that you have to rely on something other than yourself in order to find that sovereignty and taking your own journey, whether it be through your spiritual practice or through meditation or through plant medicine. And it's a really beautiful thing to see our community come together. And you can see kind of the birth in this realm and this, this sort of time that we're in where people are gravitating more towards what you're talking about with this like radical self-sovereignty by, you know, like holding yourself accountable for your life. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, yeah, I, I, feel I like believe, it. oh, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, I was just thinking about that, um, what Eric was saying and how that plays into something that you said earlier too, 
and you're like, yeah, you know, um, whenever I connected to this Jesus energy, you know, I had never really like, you know, wanted to, or thought about connecting into that energy. And, um, I think that's part of it, right. Is, you know, that conditioning as you're growing up, that this is the only way. Um, and it actually turns spiritual people away from, from Jesus and, you know, the teachings of Christianity. So seriously and then and then how he's showing up for you guys and how he shows up for me it's like man that's that's literally the homie that was like literally the man who came to embody all the pain and show us what enlightenment was and that it's possible and literally carved it out is what i see it as like carved out the the enlightenment process for the collective conscious to hold so that it's it's happened in our time in this this kind of newer era so it's it's possible and it's what we're all kind of i think whether we know it or not headed in that direction headed in this this elevation and this new plateau ascension yeah and and i wanted to kind of just so much we can get into here i wanted to actually ask you now that we're on this kind of subject of the, the spirit um, you talk a lot about outer body experiences and this feeling of going in and out of your body, right? And can you tell us more about your sort of astral projection experiences and what you've learned by venturing into the astral realms? Because I imagine channeling is one thing, right? But exiting your body willfully um, in your sort of space, entering into the astral realm is a completely different thing. So what have your experiences been like in that, in that realm? I'm going to be completely honest, the times that I've astral projected, like this Jesus time and uh, another time that I'll share right now too, they were not, they were not intentional. Like I, I can't say I had the intention of like popping out of my body. Um, I think it was the intention and that I called on Jesus energy and power. Like I, I literally think that Jesus did that to me, like straight pop my soul out of my body so that I could watch what was happening. And so that I could see it literally from my higher self so that he could show me that the pain that I was going through, it was not real and it was fake, right? It's like I could see it from the higher perspective and he let me see it from that higher perspective. So I think Jesus did that, that time. And then there is a time where I consciously fell asleep and astral projected out of my body and met a guide. Um, and that time was initiated by chanting so my then boyfriend at the time i was probably like 19 or 20 when i did this my then boyfriend was experiencing a migraine and what came to me intuitively was like just chant just chant for him just chant him to sleep and it's going to take the migraine away and it did and it ended up taking his migraine away like fully and but it one thing that it did that i did not expect it to was that like i was chanting as i was falling asleep and that actually initiated a whole astral projection out of my body because then I was looking down at us and instantly it was like fear it was like oh shit like how am I going to get back in that body like how am I going to do that um so it was like oh my god I you know but I will say that the process of coming out felt so familiar like literally I heard you do this every single night so that was a wild feeling to like be awake for it and then to come out of body be looking at myself and my boyfriend feeling fear and then instantly when i felt the fear all of a sudden i was like i don't know teleported into this other realm where i met a guide and he was a monkey man he was a straight like ape looking dude and 
he had a full-on like ape face but a man body and he was communicating to me telepathically some of the most profound things i can't even remember what they were but he taught me how to communicate with animals telepathically and after that after that day i've been super telepathically connected with especially dogs he was taking care of dogs in the other realm he had like cages and cages full of like abused animals and he was showing me how to connect with them it was a wild experience wow oh cool <laughs> I've always wondered how animal communicators um, uh, get their start, right? Um, we had an animal communicator on the show, and she said that there was a, a cat. She wasn't even, like, insanely spiritual, and um, there was just this one specific cat that just started talking to her, and that orp opened the portal for um, her gift of being able to uh, to communicate with animals. And um, she was like, oh, my gosh, this cat taught me everything that I know about animal communication. He just started talking and I could just hear him so clearly in my head. So that's pretty cool. Whenever you um, are communicating with dogs, like how does that come through? Does it come through in your own voice or, or do they have their own specific sound? Oh, they have their own specific sound. And dogs are hilarious. Dogs are really funny. <laughs> um, so I know it's that because it's usually always like a silly uh you know, kind of dopey um, voice, you know, like what you would imagine, like, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe think like Goofy and Disney or, or Pluto, right? It's like that just complete lovable kind of um, vibe, unless they're like in a sat, unless they're taking on the emotions of the owner, which can happen too, then they tend to be a little more muted. But if they're happy-go-lucky, those are the easiest dogs to read. Um, and some of the really hurt ones can be easy to read if they are not taking on the emotions of like the owner if they're say like been abandoned on the street or have been through kind of like the ringer or maybe like in and out of like abusive houses like yeah that it, it breaks my heart going to i've been to i think i've only been in an animal shelter maybe like twice in my life because of that reason like i i cannot like it it irks me on a soul level and like i could just hear ever i could hear their stories and it it's heartbreaking is there like a common story that you hear from animals when you're communicating with them, right? Because they don't have really any way to communicate their needs. I mean, uh, more often than not, if you're not tapped into that, that, that psychic sort of connection with them, a lot of us are just going intuitively by our relationship with the animals. And the hope is that if you have an animal, you can intuitively tap into them. I feel like I do that. But, uh, you know, that message isn't always clear. They don't speak English. So do you get a vibe for the type of things that they communicate to you? Is there like a common thread amongst them that you pick up on? Um, I mean, I actually read for a, a friend's, couple of Frenchies not that long ago. And um, one of them, like the more dominant one was very much like mine, like very like possessive. So like his energy, right? And it varies dog to dog, but his energy was very like mine. It's mine, this is mine, that is mine. Dad calls me a king, so he took that seriously. <laughs> And like, he's the king, you know what I mean? And that's like how he embodied life. And he even thought his dad's woman was his woman. Like that's mine too, you know? And so became very possessive when the girlfriend was around with the other dog. So it was like this whole thing, like the dogs, they understand us. They understand us better than we understand them. So now when you're talking to your dog, I don't know how this works, but they understand. <laughs> now, will they listen? they don't oftentimes care to listen because they, you know, it, it's, they're an animal and they get to do what they want and they, and they will. <laughs> but they understand us more than we understand them. And how I pick up on that energy 
it's it's very similar to like how I would pick up on any other spirit or guide or energy that I feel with somebody. It's just kind of like it's like a thought that kind of breezes in that is that I know is not mine. And um, again, it tends to come in a really funny way, right? Like when I'm connecting with that Frenchie and it's like mine, 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 like everything is like, it's just funny. It's funny because the dog's like really possessive and you can see it and feel it. And, and that, you know, that doesn't belong to you and you can like feel that essence. You can feel the energy the dog is carrying and his little thoughts. And it's really cute. <laughs> That is so funny. I have one. I have a dog like that too. We have two dogs and one of them is super possessive and has a bad attitude. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, stop being a dick to your brother. God, you're so mean. <laughs> and he is, he's such a dick. But, so um, I, it, oops, sorry. I just had one, one kind of story to share. And I wanted to ask you a question about this because I've never, um, you know, I love animals and, you know, I always talk to my animals like they're people and whatever. Um, but there, there was one animal in particular that did talk to me and it was on a total fucking accident. I was leaving a concert and, um, there was a woman standing, um, like she had like a lawn chair or whatever. And she was, um, sitting there in her chair and there was a dog sitting next to her. And I heard somebody say, Hey, and I thought it was a person, you know, and I turned around and it was this dog and this dog told me I'm not having a good time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like you're not having a good time. So I, I said that out loud and my husband was with me. He was like, who are you talking to? I said, I'm talking to that dog. He just told me he's not having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> that is and hilarious. I, I started laughing, but I was drinking, you know, and I, I think that, um, like you're, you must be unintentionally kind of open to things whenever you're drinking for, yes. you know, oh, things yes. to slip through. Um, because I've never, I mean, I've never, had an animal talk to me before outside of that one that one instance but um it was super clear what he said <laughs> that's, that's really really pretty funny that's hilarious well, you see how like it always comes with like a funny undertone like with dogs that's kind of how you know it's mm -hmm. them cats are more like the yeah. familiar cats are more like they're like witches in a cat's body you know what i mean cats are like the familiar the like watchers dogs are the companions and they're here to like share love and experiences with us and um, a lot of family time. So the fact that you heard that, I mean, yeah, they don't call alcohol spirits for any old reason, right? You're able to hear things a lot easier uh, oftentimes when you're drunk. And it's just the truth. You can also open yourself up to like, you know, not so good things when on, on drugs and alcohol too. So obviously take heed, obviously we, we no limits and healthy stuff but if you have like some alcohol in your system you're going to be able to communicate with things a lot easier in some ways and it's kind of funny how that works um there was one time this makes me think of a story where i was actually drunk once and i kept seeing this shadow of a rabbit it's not like i was hallucinating i didn't drink like moonshine or anything but i kept seeing this rabbit shadow i wouldn't see the rabbit but i would see the shadow and um it, Kay, I was visiting a friend in San Diego and I just remember I kept seeing this, this shadow of a bunny and it was like perfect. And I was like, what? And every time I would look, it was like there was no rabbit where like the shadow was basically projected and the rabbit should have been. There was no rabbit. And um, yeah, I, I later like understood that there were, I researched it. I was like shadow, spirit, puka, mischievous bunny spirit or something. And, and puka came up and they tend to be associated with alcoholics or people who drink and like this spirit of the mischievous rabbit will like come and just kind of play with people so 
the kind of things that you can yeah. mysteriously tap into on certain substances is interesting. You were you were talking about how dogs had like a certain sort of playful nature to them and the way that they speak, like how you likened it to like cartoon characters, because I totally get that. But I'm wondering, do cats sound like supervillains? I, I imagine them sounding like supervillains. To me, cats sound very... They sound like executives. Like if I could say, like they sound, they sound like um, they talk like. They sound so to me. distinguished. Yes, exactly. They talk like very like concise and like low and slow. You know, it's like how the cat looks at you, right? It's like that's how they talk. It's like yeah. this, like you know, like think of like the soft meow. That's how I experience cat energy, and they're always so like matter of fact. Like yeah, well, you should have known. Like you should know. <laughs> Yeah, that that's how that, I experience cat energy. That really yeah. resonates with me. We have um, uh, we have four cats, and and the dad cat is super super regal, and he always looks at me like you're a peasant. Like, <laughs> I, I swear, sometimes he says that he'll just look down on me like peasants. <laughs> He's just totally unimpressed. Yeah. That's a real this thing. A they, they really are unimpressed with us because they can see in between realms and they can see things that we're not aware of. So they probably see the goofiness that we go through in ways that we can't, right? So, I mean, who knows? They could be very well completely righteous in, in saying those things. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I completely agree. Actually, fun factoid. I, think I watched a documentary a couple of days ago. I have actually a couple of different facts about dogs and cats that I didn't even know before, which is really interesting, is, is one that that dogs' senses are so strong, right, that they can hear things, obviously, that we can't hear. But a lot of people know that, right? But the one thing that they mentioned in this documentary was that a dog can hear the sound of your heartbeat, right? It knows the, 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 the BPM of your heartbeat. So essentially, all, all the time, the dog knows how you're feeling. It knows when your heartbeat's really fast. It knows when your heartbeat's really slow. And because it has the ability to tap into the heartbeat, mm -hmm it adjusts its behavior around your temperament, which we hear that a lot. It's like your, your, your dog will sort of mimic the energy that you put out. And yes. I looked at this as like a very spiritual, very psychic thing because a lot of people for the longest time had no idea that this was happening, that the dog senses can tap into the organs and the, the smallest little, little things in your body. It's essentially like a psychic type of energy where they're able to tap in your, into your physiology and adjust their energy around you. And then the other thing that I learned was cats, for example, apparently they're tapped into the electromagnetic sort of toroidal field of Earth. This is the reason why when you're out in nature with cats, they could actually travel up to, including to like maybe 10 or 15 miles and find their way back by following the electromagnetic current of the Earth which wow. is completely interesting. And the reason why I found that out is because there's this guy that brings his cat like on trips with him, hiking into the forest. And they go for miles and miles and miles. And on the way back, the cat leads the way back. Wow. And it's insane. It's insane that it, they're tapped into the earth in that way. You know? That's so cool. Super cool. That's so, so cool. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. In, in, in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, each animal has its specific gifts but that's an incredible one that cats have i mean to be tapped into the electromagnetic field like that is pretty incredible that's that's yeah. kind of awe-inspiring in the fact that they have like science backed behind it this isn't just some sort of fluffy new age shit like they have people at universities that are studying this stuff which is 
really, really cool how the spirit is sort of making its way into our regular everyday sort of three-dimensional reality, right? Yeah. So I, I wanted to, uh, just for the sake of time, I wanted to alternate just to a few things involving your healing, right? And um, which is what I'm, re I'm really, really interested in, this aspect of your work. So there was actually a post that you shared that really captivated me. It was on Instagram. And uh, it was a short clip that you had shared of you in a healing session with a client. It was a video. And your client was laying down, and she was clearly going through some type of powerful release or a purge or of some type of emotions. And you were sort of holding space with her, right? You were kind of above her, and uh, you, know, you had sort of like, mo like mudras, and you, you kind of seemed like you were in a meditation with them. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on there? Totally. That was me leading a one-on-one -on -one breathwork session with a client and about, you know, eight to ten minutes into a breathing session, which the breathe, the style of breathing that I do is breathwork detox. So about eight to ten minutes in, you reach a state called transient hypofrontality. It's like this supreme state of zen and peace. And it's when like this, this monkey mind finally quiets and like you get some peace. And as you keep breathing through that, more and more DMT starts to be released by the lungs. The lungs, by the way, are the organ that release the most DMT in the entire body. So this is why breath work is so, so powerful. And DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is the molecule responsible for every single astral projection, every single night that you dream. It's in every single living thing. So as this DMT is being released, you will have deep understandings, deep downloads, deep realizations about your life and the things that you're going through. And it can come with just such an emotional and somatic release and healing. And so what you're seeing is the client having her release, having her understandings. And what she was actually experiencing post-session she shared with me was like, she was going through a really, really difficult time with her her son and her son's father and they were split and, and the son's father was being, you know, quite controlling and abusive and constantly trying to follow her and these sorts of things. And she was able to energetically get to like this exalted state with him and how I kind of described it was almost like this, this spiritual court, right? The spiritual Supreme Court where you meet in the higher realms, you meet with the higher selves. And it was like, she was able to put some things to rest and see the bigger soul picture of what was going on and why this karmic pattern was repeating itself and able to state things that needed to be said to him and otherwise wouldn't have been able to get to him any other route, but through his higher self, because he's clearly in his shadows and in his darkness and not able to, you know, comprehend things in, in a more clear space. So she was just having a lot of deep emotional release for her sake, her son's sake, probably um, the father of her child's sake, and just like this huge understanding about the, the importance of their life cycle together and the importance of creating peace for their son within that life cycle. So it was deep realization and it also came away with like specific next steps for her too and like how to navigate this situation a lot better, basically what it needed to heal. Wow, that's really beautiful. It, it, it's, it's interesting. We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that a lot of people venture into this realm through trauma, through just willingness of the intention to try to clear through trauma. And where they start is definitely their journey. There seems to be sort of like a common thread when it comes to healers is that trauma brings you to this space of awakening by venturing deep into this space. It reminds me of this quote by Rumi where he says that you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. And mm -hmm. so just from your experience as a healer, 
what are some of the common reasons why people come to you for healing? Is this heartbreak? Is this loss, somebody's death? Or is it just sort of like a mixed bag of all the different things? I think everyone has experienced a lot of those things. So it tends to be that, but more than anything, I see that these things unhealed leads to very low self-esteem and very low self-worth. I think if I can sum it all up, that's what it all does, right? Like the loss of a loved one and not having properly grieved that person, you walk around with the heaviness of that grief having um, been unreleased. If you experienced, you know, sexual abuse or any other form of abuse and you've not healed from it thoroughly, it's going to sort of tinker down what you feel you're worthy of within relationships, within work, within abundance, within what you can manifest for yourself in your life as far as dreams go. You know, so it's really when I'm working with people, they are ready to tap into their spiritual gifts, but they're afraid or they're, they feel like they're not worthy of the gifts. They feel like they'll be the first one that will never be ever able to connect or do it right. Like they're going to do it wrong. Everyone thinks that like coming from the trauma, right? Or the ego in a way, everyone thinks that they'll be the one who can't connect and they're going to do it all wrong and all this stuff. So it's really that it's the victim. It's the victim. They're in the victim. They're in the victim state where they're a victim of their circumstances, where they can't attract abundance. They can't overcome self-doubt. They can't believe in themselves. And it all comes down to, I think if I can synthesize it, it's, it's the archetype of the victim. Yeah. And when you talk about like the victim, I just hear what goes off in my mind is this, this is a result of an overactive ego because the ego is the one that is the victim most of the time. Right. So like trying to create a space where you could create a recognition and a sense of awareness around the sort of dialogue that the ego tends to sort of present to us on a daily basis, which is this sort of negative self-talk. And um, one thing that came up for me and what you're talking about is it would seem a, such a good thing for somebody that is going through trauma to want to heal those things. And I think fundamentally it is. But the, when it seems like a, a hurdle that people have to go through is this sort of fear of also being seen, right? Yes. Because I guess what happens when you clear through some of the trauma, when you clear through some of that pain, you're left with this sort of having to have to make a change in your life. And we all know that people can get really comfortable with being stagnant. They can be comfortable with the negative self-talk. They can get comfortable with being the victim because then they never have to take accountability for their life, right? So it seems like the next step that people kind of go through, and I'm just going over my experience and also my experience just being a sound healer, is that there's this other part, which is that once that, that, that awakening happens and that light sort of illuminates itself to you, it sort of not forces you, but it, it, it sort of shows you how really important it is that you start taking accountability over your feelings, over your life, and changing. And that, I imagine, can be a really scary thing, right? Do you have a lot of people that have also that fear of being seen once they get to that point? Oh, many, many. I can't yeah. tell you like how many consultations I've done with clients where part of them is so in and they're like, yes. And then, you know, you get to like, okay, and it's going to cost this much to commit to the program. And these are the things that we're going to do. And then you just like see them shrivel. A lot of people shrivel when it comes down to money. This is where a lot of their self-worth is tied in, right? It's like you allow yourself to make as much as you think you're worth and then you'll stay there because that's what you think you're worth. And then you, it, to overcome that and to reach a higher level of abundance, you actually have to unlock different types of energetic loops and patterns within yourself. It's all energy. Like literally the, the last few months of my abundance and what I've been manifesting 
95% of this, okay, is all energy. I have had the same gifts. I haven't acquired any, you know, profound new gifts in the last couple of months that really took me from this to my, you know, six figure months. No, it was all energy. I unlocked my wounded maiden archetype and I stepped into the mother archetype and realized my service to the world, planet earth, myself. I took even deeper responsibility because to get from where I was to six figure months, I had to take more responsibility for myself energetically. And the moment, oftentimes you start mentioning money and like package costs to people, they shrivel and they go back down into their like, oh, well, I can't, no, that's not for me. Oh, I'm really like, you know, I'm this, I'm that. And they just repeat the ego's patterns. Like you had mentioned, Eric, they repeat the victimhood story of the ego that says, I'm not enough. I can't have enough. I want that. And people don't understand when you want something, but you tell yourself you don't have enough money for it. You're solidifying that belief even more. And you're actually supposed to commit to those things. Like the process of this growth is you actually should feel really uncomfortable. There have been times where I'm like, oh man, like I just did this like coaching program and I know this is what I need. And we're going to see how this works out. Like, let's see where rent comes. Like, it's a little bit of a gamble, but let me tell you, the universe always catches you. If you're ready, sometimes you have to just like jump and you grow your wings on the way down. That's really how it is. Oftentimes I've not seen it unfold differently for many people. Like from what I've seen and the people who I see successful in the spiritual community, which is not tons of them. And the ones that I see like myself and my coaches and the people that I stay associated with, because I want to be spiritual and wealthy because that allows me to serve more. And when you start to see it that way and you start to redo the beliefs that you've grown up with, all the abundance comes and it, it allows you to then hold the light and shine the mirror on the other, right? On the client and they can really see themselves. And I encounter it more often than you think where I see them and I see their gifts and I see their talent and then they cower. Like I can't, I can't afford it. I can't do it. I can't this, I can't that. And then Oh, you want to like, you want to take them so bad and shake them out of it and tell them it's going to be okay, but you can't do it for them. Well, let me place mm -hmm. myself in, let me place myself in the shoes of one of these people, right? Just for as an mm -hmm. example. I mean, as a sound healer, I've gone through this as well, right? So we live in a very difficult time right now for a lot of people financially. So let's just say it's somebody that wants to do the healing and you know, which some is of a belief these courses, that, um, that in and right, of itself right, is, right. is. Okay, so that's a belief. We can go through this, and you can give me your perspective on this. I'm just trying to Got place it. myself in the fr in the framework of people that bring up this in a conversation every once in a while. And this is stuff that I heard when I was doing sound healing, too. And I want to know your thoughts on this, which is we're in a difficult time. There are some people that are suffering financially. You know, having to spend two, $3,000, whatever the amount may be for a type of course is a really big sacrifice and an investment for a lot of people, Right. And there's also a reluctance that some people have because there's a lot of people in this community that are doing really amazing work like you, right? But then there are also other people in the community that you get this sort of impression that they're, that they're being disingenuous, right? Mm -hmm. That there's something, there's something going on with their work. And I've known, I've known a lot of people, I've been in this community for a long time, that have invested money in something, in, in, in somebody that, that the work wasn't there, like that, that, that intention was disingenuous. They had to find that out on their own. But I've also known a lot of people in the community that have invested their money and have gotten really amazing results, both spiritually as well as financially. So what do you say to somebody that has the reluctance because of that, that experience or that understanding that in this spiritual community, there are two sides. 
there are people that are doing work and there are other people that are there taking advantage of people. I would say wherever you find yourself within the spiritual community is actually where you're supposed to see the deeper reflection of who you are. Because if you're in resonance with people who are ripping you off and just using you for your money, you're likely deeply in your victimhood and not noticing and not having healthy boundaries within yourself and not catching the inauthenticity within their auric field. Now, if you're working on yourself genuinely and you're coming across people who can really help you, you're gonna feel really lit up within joy, within inspired action, and then in seeing the results in how they live, right? You're gonna have awareness in looking at and sort of analyzing the other, but when you are in blind faith, and there I'm sure are plenty of people within the spiritual community who claim to be spiritual and who will who will benefit off of those people who are who lack that deeper self-awareness or that who are deep in that victimhood mind state and they will keep you in that victimhood mind state and take you for as much money as they can. 100% people like that. And it's all calling you into your refinement. It's all a reflection, right? It's like those people who get ripped off by by readers who are like messaging them from like fake accounts. You know, <laughs> it's it's the oh it's the same vibe, right? It's like come on now, if you're going to get scammed on that and you're gonna like get mad that you got scanned by a fake account. Like you got, you gotta, you gotta step it up. <laughs> you gotta step it up. So that's that's how I see that aspect of the spiritual community. It's like you gotta, you gotta like fly above the little gnats and the like the little flies, right? You gotta like find the honey. You gotta go where the bees are. You gotta like find your pocket and your community, and you're gonna learn anyways. I mean, I think that's that's kind of like part of it. I wouldn't see that separate from the spiritual journey. It's like part of it. You have to like refine who it is that you want to work with. You have to refine who you're attracting to know that it is the next mentor, the next master, the next whoever that you need to work with to get to your next phase in life. Well, you know, Eric and I talk about this a lot too, um, especially when he was doing sound healing for, um, for compensation. And anytime he gave away a sound healing for free, people would no show and like, you know, uh, that actual energetic exchange of somebody giving you money for a service um, really does place value on the service in their mind, right? Um, whenever somebody is giving you their hard-earned money, then, you know, they're going to be on time. They're not going to no-show. They're not going to cancel last minute. Like, they're going to be there and they're going to be present. And I like to think of it as, like, we, we, we think of money as this sort of, like, this, this physical sort of, like, object that has life. But I try and look at it a little different. Like, money is energy, right? It's an, an exchange of energy. It's a part of you that you've invested in something, a part of your work that you've invested in something. So it means something at an energetic level. And I also translate energy as being love. You're absolutely right. When I'm speaking to somebody that I'm trying to solicit some sort of healing service from, if that sort of loving energy is inside of me, then that loving energy inside of me can pick up on the loving energy of others, right? So yeah. when I'm sitting alongside of a healer, whether or not be a psychic or a medium or whatnot, and I have a conversation with them, I can intuitively feel the goodness in them, like the love in them. So I know that that energy is there. And that's where that trust comes. And I think maybe what you're speaking to is, you know, people, like you said, need, need to get out of that victim mentality and learn to tap into that sort of place of self-love because then you're able to sort of recognize it in other people. And I imagine that can kind of keep you from falling into those sort of traps that you're talking about, you know? Oh my gosh, yes. Like the, the, deeper, the deeper I got into my spiritual work, the less I had energetic room for 
many people in my life. And I don't mean that in a mean way and nor did I cut them off in mean ways, but just energetically where my energetic body was headed and where they were headed. It's like people, family, friends can have these energetic little holds on you and you don't oftentimes mind or tend to these things because you think it's fine and you think it's normal and you know, like family has expectations and beliefs and yada, yada, yada. You don't understand until those things are gone, until you realize, until you put it aside, oftentimes you don't know that you're carrying it. You don't know that you're carrying the beliefs of others. You don't know that you're carrying the expectations of others. And um, you have to be very mindful with these things because they can prevent you from stepping into your fullest potential. And I've seen that numerous times with my clients, I've seen it with myself many times over too. It's like we all go through this phase where it's like, oh crap, oh shit. I notice like all my codependent relationships now. I'm seeing that negative pattern that I have playing out with my mom and this like, you know, where she wants to like keep me in a certain way. And it's like, that's not even true anymore, but she swears that this is like the truth about me. And it's like really not. And, and same thing with maybe other external relationships that people might have going on at work it, with friends. It's, it's all everywhere you go there you are <laughs> so everything externally that you have going on in your life that you feel is bringing disharmony it's actually you and this is what full responsibility looks like because people can do some of the most messed up things to you and i've experienced it and i'm sure you you too have as well and it's still it's still a reflection of what we have going on within ourselves and a part that's fragmented that we have not yet healed and we have not yet you know, tended to with love and with understanding and integrated. So it's all, it's all us. It's all us. Yeah. That's, that's really, really beautiful. And it's like, like once you experience, you know, that sort of blast of called like a love blast of energy, then you, it, it becomes so clear who are the toxic people in your life. You know, it's crazy because a lot of people, they don't ever get to feel that because they're stuck in this sort of like the sense of what's familiar to them, whether or not it be toxic, people stay in toxic relationships, toxic yeah. friendships. Once you start sort of like diving within and start cultivating that sort of self-love within, it's sort of like, like you said, it becomes so obvious who are the people that need to be in your life and who are the people that don't need to be in your life. And you go through that sort of dark night of the soul experience where you start purging all of these relationships yeah. out of your life. You know, and you may be alone for a little bit, you may be alone for a little bit, but you know what? Like you will attract the people that are meant to be in your life, the tribe that you're meant to have in your life by just radiating that love, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. The cliche, yes. your vibe attracts, attracts your tribe. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, and we have to, and that's the same thing. Like, see, people don't understand how some of those toxic relationships that they think they're just allowing to stay because, you know, they don't want to like hurt the other person or they don't want to cut them off. Keeping that person in your life is oftentimes blocking your money or keeping those people, keeping those toxic relationships. That's blocking your abundance. That's blocking your flow. That's blocking your spiritual gifts. They're taking up too much energetic room within your naughty system, within your energetic field. And the new things can't get to you because you want to hold so tightly to what you think you need to have. And um, stepping into abundance is a lot about learning how to balance the divine feminine, you know, and, and receptivity and deep, deep surrender, as well as like kind of keeping the foot on the gas of on like the personal growth that we've been like talking about throughout this whole thing. You know, it's kind of like those two things married together 
create for magic. That's really beautiful. You have a quote that I wanted to kind of get your perspective on. And it's on your IG. I, I read it and I thought it was really powerful. I'd like to know your thoughts on it, what it means to you. You said, the extent in which you intimately know your pain is the same extent in which you intimately know your pleasure. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate more on what this quote sort of means to you? Oh my gosh. When I posted that quote, I hadn't even dove into like my central energy as much as I've been as of late, but it, it almost takes on a whole even deeper meaning now that I've really, really embodied that. It's like, I thought I knew what that was at the time I posted it. And like, I feel like I know it on a new level, right? So the extent to which you allow yourself to surrender to every dark thing that has happened to you, every trauma, every pain, every thing that your consciousness is holding on to that it uses against you. It's kind of like the master of you, right? If you flip every single one of those stones and rocks and hard things over and consciously choose to look at it and heal it and integrate it and see what it needs and see what its missing experience was and what you never got out of that situation that you truly needed, whether it was as a child or as an adult, and you give it to yourself, you experience and make way for a whole new way of living, a whole new way of experiencing joy and pleasure in your life. And really the sensual and the tantric way of life is just the pursuit of joy, just the pursuit of pleasure, right? It's not as sexual as people think, though it can be, and there's, there's an element to sex magic too, but really the more you allow yourself to pursue pleasure in life while you are actually doing the deep spiritual work. This is actually such a beautiful place to be in in life because you're not only focused on the pain, but you're like, okay, I'm dealing with this and I can still give myself the things that make me feel amazing. I deal with this pain here and I, and that's how I've been living my life, especially since I got to Tulum and it's been the most financially rewarding thing. It was like the missing key to my abundance. It really was. It was like, again, I thought I knew what it was and and I only knew like 25% of it, the more I dove in even deeper and looked at even more of the relationships that I had already thought I dealt with, right? Like a pattern with my mother came up that I really needed to see. And instead of like cowering or pretending like it's nothing, I really dove in and I could have pretended like it was nothing because I'm living far away, right? So it could be quote unquote easy to ignore, but you don't ignore, you understand how that relationship has caused you to not have any boundaries in your life or whatever the lesson is. And then it makes way for Boom, all your abundance, all of your money, that dream that you've been, you know, wanting to manifest the, the person who can help you get there shows up, whatever it is. It's like, as you make way, as you clear out the old, you're left fresh and your org field is left open and receptive to the juiciness and yumminess of what's next in life. And it's good stuff. Life is meant to be joyous. And I've realized that as of late, you know, I had deep programming around life needing to be this sad, miserable thing for me to feel alive in some like screwed up way. But um, it's for joy. We're here to experience joy. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> That's funny. As you've been talking, I've been um, making notes of things that, um, as, that I need to work on, right? And, um, and that was actually on my list. And uh, as I was thinking of it, you were saying it about the pattering with your mom. So, um, and that's like number six on my list. 
Yeah. So uh, this has been wonderful. Like having you on, uh, we could talk to you for another hour. I mean, you just have so much knowledge and and everything is just flowing through you. It's almost like you're channeling while you've been on this podcast. It's, really cool. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. This yeah, is, I mean, it's what I love doing. It's what I love doing. I have a very active throat and with spirit on my side, like I said, spirit is in everything I do. So the information will just flow out of me. I could talk to you two for hours. You're amazing to talk to this, this podcast, this platform that you guys have created. I love it. You two together are like, I get it. I see it. I understand why the two of you do this together because you guys are really dope together. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it was such a beautiful journey. We covered so many different things. We'll have to have you on again. But before we let you go, I wanted to actually just get into a few more things if we could. You have a third eye activation breathwork detox that according to the schedule is happening tomorrow, which is on the 24th. Now we won't be able to get the episode out by that time, but I imagine that you'll have more of these type of things, right? So can you just kind of give us a brief sort of uh, outline of what it is that you go through with your clients in this workshop? Wonderful question. And yes, the the plan is to offer them at least twice a month, you know, bi-weekly. Sometimes things might get in the way depending on if I have a retreat or, you know, things. So one to two times a month is about how frequently I'll be offering them. And it's a wonderful way to get a snippet of how I can connect you to your guides and the other side. So really, I create the energetic container for you to be able to receive information from your higher self, from your guides, from your crossed over loved ones within this breathwork space. And I lead you through the breathwork, the breathwork style, the practice, what you'll need to be aware of going into the breathwork so that you could really unfold and let go and just surrender to the power of the breath. And um, it's a guided experience, you know, from the music that I choose to everything that is said during the breathwork to encourage you and keep you breathing through the process. But you're eventually going to have a huge breakthrough and a huge download, whether it's an emotional release, whether it's putting down baggage you've been carrying, whether it's receiving a very specific information or, or message from your grandmother on the other side, say, or you get a visitation from your crossed over father. And this is where it becomes really powerful because oftentimes when people are working with me, it can take them a couple weeks to feel like they have like, oh, okay, I have a tangible experience in this training, you know, with me as I'm training them to be psychic mediums, whereas in a breath work, you give me like an hour of your time and I, I promise you, I don't mean to like stroke my own ego, but I will hit it out the park. You will experience, <laughs> you will experience your, your um, higher self or a loved one connecting with you and giving you, feeding you the information that is needed for probably an important next step in your life. And also whatever it is that your intention is coming in, because intention, as I've said numerous times probably, throughout this uh, interview is like intention is everything. So if you intend to connect to a loved one, if you intend to receive a specific information, say about what's going on in your business or your relationship with your mom or whatever it is, you're gonna have the activation to be able to see into, to feel into and allow yourself to receive whatever information that's important for you at this time. And each breathwork experience is different. So don't think like, oh, okay, well I did one, cool, that was amazing, bye. The more you do it, the more, <laughs> intuitive you become the more your third eye stays activated not just in that instance but you learn how to then navigate the waters 
with this new sense of awareness and how to fully integrate it. So I have a lot of returning clients who keep coming to my breathworks, you know, who say don't want to fully commit to my one-on-one -on -one coaching or maybe my courses, but they'll, they'll keep coming to the breathworks because they're receiving new downloads each and every time. So are you doing these in person only or do you do them virtual as well? Um, this one is actually virtual. So I'm in Tulum. Okay. Most of the 95% uh, of the work that I do is all virtual. So the one-on-one -on -one coaching, my courses, my live virtual breathworks, it's all via Zoom and it's, it's very powerful. And I am also, I've received downloads to do breathworks at Chichen Itza, at the Ruinas on the beach. So like these activating places, I've done retreats and um, breathworks in Sedona at some of those vortexes and, and that's really powerful. So location can be extremely powerful. Um, and also I think that's kind of why like I'm supposed to be in Tulum at this time because I'm activating and sort of sending energetic code to those that I'm working with, with the awakened sort of energy here. Cause there's a, there's a lot here. Emotions are so easy to access here. The water runs everywhere. There's water underground. It's humid. It rains a lot like the water and the emotion is just so accessible. So it actually, it aids my work. The love, the physical location actually aids my work. So wh where do people, if they want to, if they want to find your work, I know we have your IG at uh, Candice Ribolo, but are there any other places that they can look to um, participate in that? Uh, other than class? Facebook, these are really my platforms right now. I'm in the middle of building some okay. things on websites and courses on Kajabi. So literally that'll, that may just change when this is actually out but instagram is going to be the place to find that nonetheless because it'll it'll probably be like in my link tree that's the, that'll be like the hub to find everything like my next breath work um virtual experience my my packages that i offer any other workshops that i'll be doing retreats vip weekends vip days here in tulum you know i i encourage people who are watching this if you feel called to work with me you know i work with people here in tulum too you can fly out and work with me one-on-one -on -one and I can give you the experience of a lifetime. I promise you that in terms of awakening and activation and enlightenment and path, your, your, your spiritual path ahead and your, your gifts and how to utilize them within your business, within your practice, or just for your life in general. So there's all kinds of goodies. Okay. Really beautiful. Okay. So just like she said, she can be found on IG. We'll put it in the episode description so you can click on a link that'll take you directly there. You can tap into her link tree and find that information. It's under Kenneth. Rebolo. But now where we're talking about this, before we end the show, I wanted to just, I'm trying to get as much information as I can from you, Candace. Okay. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you this last question to kind of leave with our audience. So there are a lot of people in life. I mean, they would say that this is a really difficult time to be alive, right? You got the pandemic that people are kind of trying to move through. There are a lot of, you know, got inflation, just 3D stuff that's happening right now. As a healer, somebody that has tuned into this work, what advice can you give to people during this time right now? You have to understand that as the light begins to penetrate your consciousness and this planet at deeper levels, the darkness will appear to get stronger and it will appear to be more chaotic. But really it's because the old way of existing and the old paradigms, they're literally collapsing. So the new is being built. Your job at this time on this planet, your only job is literally to clear your path ahead and to follow your highest passion. That's what the world needs. We need you, who our listeners, we need you functioning at your highest octave. We need you functioning 
at your highest frequency. And the only way you can do that is to embody your gifts fully and to live your joy. So that means if you have these shadow dreams to be a spiritual healer, you know, that's what you're here to embody in this life. If you have these shadow dreams to be a singer, songwriter, a producer, that's what you're here to be. If the, that thing that you have, that you're afraid to speak out loud because you feel like you're not good enough and you could never get there in this lifetime, that is what you're here to do and nothing less. So you could do it now in this lifetime or come back, <laughs> which won't be fun for any of us. <laughs> um, so the quicker we all self-actualize our dreams, the quicker we elevate and the quicker that what seems to be a chaotic place to live becomes the most beautiful place in the cosmos and the place where the darkness literally turned to the most beautiful light that we could have even possibly imagined, like essentially heaven on earth, right? This is a, this is a common thing that a lot, of, lot within this, lot with many within the spiritual community talk about, but it's so true. We're here to create heaven on earth. We are supposed to be a free people. We are supposed to be beings of enlightenment, sharing and creating gifts and creating lives of art and creativity and love and abundance and doing all the things. We're not here to experience all the other stuff that's on the news and that you might perceive to be as real. There are real aspects to it, but just know that's literally the enemy trying to prevent you from awakening. That's literally what is happening. It's they're trying to stop you from becoming aware because the light is growing, because our light is growing, because we're not falling for the BS anymore. So don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. Don't believe everything you read, especially in the media. Take accountability for your life and live your deepest and wildest dreams. That's what I would say about that. <laughs> that was perfect. Oh my gosh. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much for that, sharing that. That was a channeled message directly for Eric. I uh, truly it, believe it, that. Uh, Jen, like everything see, Jen, that you said did Jen that. Knows everything. I saw you. Everything I saw you, said. Eric. Eric, when we first started, I saw you with a guitar. So I know you're an artist and I know you have <laughs> deep dreams of being on stage and like you, you got to do it, dude. You have to uncover your blocks to that and your fears to that because I, you know, fame is not something that is outside of the realm of what spiritual people can embody. In fact, more spiritual people need to become famous because we're here to be the way showers. Like light workers deserve all the abundance and all the notoriety because we're going to curve it. We're going to make it ours. We're going to make it. We're going to take it back to the light and to the authenticity. So we need men just like you to embody your gifts right now more than ever. Oh, thank you. So much there. There's so much there that completely just blew my heart open. I really appreciate you sharing that. And you know what? Jen was right. That was exactly what I needed to hear. So she's just ch she's channeling. She's tapping into all these all these different fields, Jen. That was really beautiful. Thank you so much, Candace, for sharing that. It's really you're really so powerful. welcome. And thank you again. And thank you again so much for coming into a podcast. It was definitely a pleasure. We're gonna have so much fun just going over the editing, getting the stuff out to the world. But we appreciate you coming in and sharing your wisdom with us so thank you absolutely oh, absolutely thank, thank you. you so much jen and eric you're and, amazing and before i have leave. to oh sorry <laughs> oh, oh just... no, no no that's okay i just wanted to make a little announcement it, in the beginning of the podcast i'm sure you guys noticed that i was on my phone um our best friends had an emergency c-section today and had a baby so we have Aww. a new baby um in the world and i told them they're messaging me i was like i can't talk right now i'm in podcast and they were like you better give us a shout out <laughs> so oh, uh cam so and tracy congratulations there's your shout out so that oh, is wow. amazing that's so amazing that is so amazing and, and you know what jen 
you know what? On top of that, it was just Candace's birthday too. Mm-hmm. How about that? Was it? Oh, how about that shit? Look yeah. at that. Candace Thank you for being baby. born. Hey, you know what? There's something around babies that have been following me because yesterday I had a client who didn't know it was my birthday reach out and ask if I could lead her in a guided meditation as she's giving birth to her baby in October. So she sent me that message on my birthday. So there's something about this newness of life and I'm hearing the message. That's actually, that's actually a message for me, Jen. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Oh, that gave me chills. So yes, that was a message for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Thank you well, all. It was a blessing, blessing having you guys. Thank you so much for joining so, us so in grateful. this space today. Yeah. For all those listening, thank you guys for tuning in to Find Nobody's Podcast and taking this journey with us. Candace Rebello is a truly fascinating, really powerful woman. Again, you can find her on Instagram. Go ahead and click into the link in the description. You can find all of her information there. We'll get you guys connected. She can blow open your third eye wide open. See crazy <laughs> shit. So if you guys are uh, tuning in to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. If you're on uh, YouTube, you can go ahead and like and subscribe. You can see the, uh, the video episode if you guys are more visual, visual learners. And if you guys have any questions, you can reach out to us on Instagram. This is where we uh, mainly reside along with Candice. This is where we post some of our content there. You can reach out to us with any recommendations on um, just podcast topics and things like that. Just share some of your thoughts with us. We love the community. And uh, until next time, friends, thank you guys and namaste. Namaste, friends. <laughs>